All right, let's just go down the line, guys, and uh, maybe introduce yourself, the ministry that you oversee, tell them that, and, and maybe how long you've been at DSC and an elder at DSC. My name is Tim Ray. Um, I oversee missions, in particular global missions. Um, I've been at DSC for 10 years, is that right, hon? About 10, 11, 11 years. Um, I've been married for 13 years, and we have four wonderful children. And I'll just get this out of the way because we do this every Casey Casey. Somebody always mentions that they have the best wife, and then everybody else feels guilty because they forgot to mention that. So we all have the best wife. Um, so there, guys, not to worry about saying that now. So, especially since they're here. So, anything else I'm missing? I think that's it. You like too much? Yeah. Uh, my name is Carlos Grego. I'm a elder candidate. I'm um, a minister over the well, the young adult ministry, the men's ministry. And I'm also um, going to be sent out to plant Redemption Church in Rio Rancho um, about a year out. And uh, I've been at Desert Springs for eight years. Um, yeah. My name is uh, Tim Ragsdale. And I'm, I'm messing with Chris. Am I working? I'm over, uh, I oversee local missions. And I've had the opportunity now to take, uh, take over overseeing community groups for Jay Rush, who has had to step back for a while to get spun up on his new job. He's been doing a great job, and uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing where we can go with that. But I've been at DSC. I've been going, making eye contact with my wife, asking her. But uh, uh, five years, and uh, an elder now for one. My name is Ron Giese. I'm the administrative pastor here. Uh, I've been married to Carla for 27 years. We've got three kids. And we've only been here four years, but I'm really, are really enjoying New Mexico. My name's Tim Bradley, a pastor over biblical counseling ministry as well as family ministry. Uh, Marcy and I have had the privilege of attending Desert Springs before it was called Desert Springs Riverview Fellowship uh, 14 years in November. And I've been on staff here at the church for a little over seven years and an elder for almost five years. And then in addition to uh, Jay Rush, who isn't here tonight, and uh, as Tim Ragsdale said, has stepped back from eldership, not, not, as a, not by any means as a permanent thing, um, really not even as an official thing, uh, just while he gets going on a new job and gets caught up to speed in that new job. But also Bill Anderson, um, who works with our deacons, he oversees the deacons, he's away uh, out of town right now on work, and so he's not able to be with us. All right, so Tim Ray, um, you oversee global missions, and boy, what a huge ministry that is. Um, let's start with North Africa and our plans for North Africa, the church planting efforts there. What, can you give us something of an update on our timeline for um, our plans to be sending two missionary couples from DSC to the field in North Africa? Absolutely. Um, so you guys are probably obviously pretty familiar with th those efforts, and um, we've been certainly talking about the 1 of 150, and, you know, timeline-wise right now, we're still a ways away from actual sending. Uh, it's going to be the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. That's kind of the schedule right now to send out the first couple, and then the second couple a year after that. And, and that sending won't actually be to North Africa just yet. They're going to be going to France first to get uh, language training. They'll be there six to nine months. And uh, 
that's kind of our time frame on when we're going to be sending out our first couple. They're in the midst of training right now, and uh, I can get into that. Should I get into that now or later? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk about the training. You know, training-wise, just to give you guys a sort of an overall summary of, of the training, you know, they're, they're really focusing on a couple areas. Number one right now is more theological training, and so it's, it's almost seminary-ish right now. It's just we're leading it. Parker uh, Landis, who moved away recently, you guys may remember, he's still part of that and doing that via, via Skype. Uh, so uh, that's what's going on right now. We'll continue for a while. They're also going to be going through more uh, cross-cultural training. Um, field training is going to be the next thing. And, uh, and in the meantime, they're, they're you know, sitting in on elders' meetings. They're learning that, uh, getting uh, prepared for that. You know, like we've mentioned before, we don't want to send anybody out who is not elder qualified. doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be an elder here. They may, they may not, but they're certainly going to be at a point where they are qualified to be an elder here. You also mentioned one of 150. I'm, I'm new to DSC. What is one of 150? And, um, and I, I suspect that has something to do with giving. So is giving going well? Giving is going well. Um, what is one of 150 first? You're not new to DSC. Well, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the one of 150 is our efforts. I mean, what we've really identified is what is it going to take to send out these couples. And, and to, to, it's expensive. And to, to send them out, we've got to start collecting or getting ready uh, now. And, and, and really, the church planning efforts in, includes Los here, as he, as he mentioned. So, you know, these, this one of 150 is for all of our church planting efforts, not just global. Um, and so the one of 150 is, you know, we're looking for 150 people to give a dollar a day and and that started in january and we're doing well with that that's going well you know our, our next transition is really out of the one to one fifth one of 150 and more into we need the body doing that this isn't just 150 people we can't stop there because the efforts we want the efforts to grow so really the transition now is in every member becoming part of that and uh, being a part of this as a church so Hey, Ron, question for you, kind of a hard question for you, but maybe a, a fair one. Uh, someone asked this question, was 2010 the right time for some facility renovations uh, considering a shortfall in giving a few months back? You know, pretty significant shortfall, at least at one point in the year. Uh, yeah, could I answer the one that came in that just said Packers versus Steelers instead? I didn't get that one, did uh, There really was one that came in. <laughs> um, we had a, a dip in the fall. If you, some of you guys tracked the bulletin. We put it every week in the bulletin. Um, here's our anticipated giving. Here's the actual giving. And if you look at that, in the fall, September, especially October, November, um, there's a dip. We were, I think, 20000 in the red at one point. The spring and summer were actually pretty good. Uh, in the middle of the summer, we had a really good check balance, including a cushion. Uh, we considered the cushion what's left if all checks were cashed right away. Because some people take weeks to cash their check, vendors included. Um, so if I had known, I'll give you kind of yes and no to that. If I had known that we'd have a dip in the fall, I would not have approved as many renovations as we did in the spring or summer. But you know the model about hindsight being 2020. Um, I will say this. We, we looked at about 10 renovations or facelifts to do in 2010, and we cut back when at late summer we saw giving going down a little bit, 
to doing about four of them. So part of the bigger picture was first five years of this building, nothing was really done. Now, the first two or three years, you don't need anything done, like a new house. It's great. You just need to call the builder to come and fix things, and they do that. But in years four, five, six, there are some things that started not falling apart, but needing to be fixed. Uh, the Paradox Room had literal cracks in some of the walls, for instance. And so we looked at starting in 2010 a four- or five-year um, series of renovations and facelifts. So to maybe talk a little bit more, I thought I could say maybe the three big areas that constitute the process we go through. Um, I am the one that gives the final approval, so the buck stops at my desk. But it's not me. I mean, I'll only use the we, and sometimes people use the we decided this, and you're thinking, maybe it was really just that one guy. <laughs> um, it really is a we. Um, we start with a team that gets together, myself and five other administrative staff of the 14 full-time staff. Uh, so the facility supervisor, our office manager, communications director, um, our financial administrator, and usually our pastoral assistant as well is in on that. And we'll start brainstorming, thinking, should we do this change, like carpet the paradox room? Does it, need, does it really need it? Long term, is that in the best interest of the church? Uh, or would we change our mind in a couple of years and, and move youth dinners somewhere else? Um, part of that first area is even bringing in counsel from outside. I've got a pool of four or five businessmen that I'll call and ask, Here's, here are my dynamics to this decision. What do you guys think? Good decision, bad decision. So let's say we decide to recarpet the, and repaint the youth room, which we did. Second step is looking at different options. Okay, how do we go about putting a new floor in the youth room. For instance, one thing that came up in that second stage was, could we rip the carpet out, we're left with the concrete slab, stain it, like our foyer, wouldn't that be great if people spilled stuff at youth dinner? Much easier to clean than even a commercial-grade carpet. So I won't go into that five-minute tangent, but that was the roadblock uh, that we ran into with that thing. Third and final stage, when we settle on um, a mode of renovating, we look at cost. Uh, we bid projects out. We see what we can do in terms of ourselves providing labor, materials. If anybody's willing to gift the money that's come up and said, I've got a special interest in this kind of thing that you do at church. So another thing I wanted to say, because it is a hard question, is sometimes you'll see things around here and you'll go, wow, that cost a lot of money. And you might not know that was gifted by somebody who, that's their business. They can get it at a huge discount from what we'd pay for. And it might have cost us nothing. There are four amazingly neat shelves backstage here. If you want to come up back to the service, we could walk you back there. They're eight by eight. They're custom-made shelves, mahogany-stained. They're gorgeous. I don't know. Probably would have cost $10,000 if we would have um, you know, bid that out. They were given to the church. So we're trying to decide where can we put them because they're so big. But at some point, you'll see them somewhere. I thought I'd mention one more thing, too, because I had one or two people ask about this. Um, the monument signs, which are what we call the two signs at the entrance, um, came in in, I think, October or November. Bad timing. It actually came at the exact time we're having this dip, and you're seeing the bulletin being in the red. Um, that was one of the things we started about a year ago with the sign company. So not the best timing. Um, you should know that two-thirds of that was gifted and didn't come out of our budget. Um, it's also the same signs. I don't know if they, if they look the same, but they look the same because they are the same. The company just picks them up, takes it to their shop, repaints it, puts lettering on, put our logo on. 
drops it right back down. So they're just, I guess the point I want to make is there are a lot of dynamics to any decision. Um, but our books are always open, and my office door is always open. So if you ever want to look at the budget, it's up on the website. Uh, you'd email me to get a password, but I'd email you the password back. And if you'd print our yearly budget, it's about 12 pages printed. This is not that brief, you know, missions is just one line and it's 150000 No, missions would be two pages, and you could see exactly how much we budget for Juarez or Guatemala, how much youth budgets for their summer camp. So that's available to all of you. Um, our spending is available too, but that's, you come in and just ask. So if you'd say, Ron, how much was this big monitor out in the, in the foyer, and was that donated, or did you buy it? I'll tell you how much it was. I don't mind that at all. Only thing I ask you is, give me three or four minutes to explain what went into that decision. So think of it maybe on the family level of somebody. Maybe you'd respect them. They're in your community group, and you're in an accountability relationship with this guy. And he would say, Ron, how much did you pay for that car in your lot or in your driveway? Well, I know in my mind, I bought it five years old, and I paid $13,000 for it. But if I think he's coming from the angle of, man, that money could go to feed 50 kids in Africa for three years, I'd still answer it, but I'd invite him into my home and then say, can I take five minutes to tell you how our family buys cars, what we do when we're done with them, and how we handle our, over, our overall financial picture? Then I'd, well, I'd be very open. If you want to say, man, was that the best use of your money, buying this car that was five years old? I want to hear it. I hope I'm open to that. So um, I was telling a staff member, I think, today, probably out of every ten decisions I make that deal with money, even though they're made with a team and the elders are looped into that as well, Probably one out of every ten decisions I regret. I look back on it and I say, you know, I wouldn't have made that if I could do it again. I don't think it's money flushed down the toilet, but it wasn't the best use of money. And we're stewards of God's money. So I do make mistakes, um, and you're always welcome to come and ask me about specific things. I'm sorry that was such a long answer to no, your question. Yeah, good stuff. Just to clarify, Steelers? Oh, man, no way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me say quickly and briefly. There's one historic coach that has already been mentioned tonight. So I think That's people right. should know where that subconscious, spirit-led elder decision is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, all right. but all right. he, he was having to explain what a football was. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim Ragsdor, you oversee local missions here at the church. What does that encompass? Um, local missions is... Started to think about that, and don't want to sound like a smarty pants answer, but it's everything that's not global. As when you start thinking about the challenges of those long distances, you know, in in the global arena, most of us are just, uh, and I don't mean just there. Most of us are senders and prayer support. But with local missions, we're all participants. We are all ambassadors for Christ. We are all called to be His witnesses. And uh, so, with local missions, our uh, what I focus on is training the individuals in uh, individuals and classes like our ambassador series, which is expanded and starting again in the spring, and I highly recommend it, um, as well as encouraging and equipping community groups to get their groups on mission. Because community groups, getting people into community groups is a great thing, and you've heard a lot about that lately. Um, but it's not an end in and of itself. It is a, uh, it's, we need to get people together Living the one another's of the gospel, but also on mission. Um, 
I think that's Do you think that's growing here at, at DSC? Do you think we're becoming more aware and um, active in being on mission? I do. I, when I see two things, I see the phenomenal growth we're seeing in our community groups, the numbers of groups and the numbers of people participating in the groups. And when you think, guys, of mission, think of the Great Commission. And we are called to make disciples. And that's where, that's where the one anothering of the gospel occurs, is within community. And the other one is the, the folks who are lining up and getting behind our church planning uh, efforts. So the chosen instrument of God for building his kingdom on earth is the local church. And uh, so we are very fired up about getting behind the church planning stuff. So. Great. Maybe we'll come back to some of that stuff. Okay. Uh, Tim Bradley, yeah. uh, one of the questions that, uh, that came up is um, whether we have licensed counselors here on staff. Are you licensed? Uh, Actually, no, I'm not licensed. I'm not either. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer to that is no. Uh, the philosophy of, of counseling that we really ascribe to here is, is uh, called biblical counseling. Uh, another way of thinking about that is pastoral counseling. Uh, so in terms of the formal sense, you might think of it in terms of pastors counseling through uh, the authoritative and sufficient word of God address all of life's problems. And so that's the, the, the counseling that we uh, really ascribe to here. And there's no real formal mechanism for licensing biblical counselors. Uh, there are a variety of mechanisms for training and equipping biblical counselors, including uh, education, seminary education, and, and certifications uh, through biblical counseling organizations, uh, but not licensing. Okay. Now... When should someone come to see a pastor at DSC for counseling? How, how bad does it have to get? Yeah. Uh, or is there something before going to see a pastor? There's, there's a lot before. Uh, there's, there's no wrong time to seek out a pastor or, or anybody, anybody else, any other Christian within the community. So... Uh, so there's, there's no wrong time for doing that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that we could be doing beforehand to prevent crisis counseling. Uh, personal discipline and spiritual disciplines would be one. Um, we've touched on community groups and, and, and being part of uh, a, a, gr- a smaller group of believers within this larger body here where we can live out the one another's, where we can be authentic in our relationships, where, where we can be accountable to one another and, and encouraging one another, exhorting one another uh, in our lives. And so there, there are many things that we could do in our personal lives, in our family lives, even in smaller communities here in the church to help prevent crisis counseling. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can always avoid that. So you can imagine somebody is is doing these things and still find themselves in a point of crisis. Uh, crisis might mean uh, a health issue uh, that, that came up in your life. Crisis might mean a, a concern with a child. It, it might mean uh, marital issues. So we're not going to be able to avoid every crisis in life, uh, but, but there are a lot of things that we can do on the front end to prevent a crisis, if you will. Do you think Christians should view themselves, in a sense, as counselors? I do. Um, 
You know, in fact, we, we just did, Ron and I did some leadership training uh, this past weekend, and it really communicated to those who participated that all of life is really counseling. I mean, the word to counsel literally means to just give advice. And unless you don't have any relationships in your life, you are giving advice. And so the question is not whether I'm a counselor or not. If I'm giving advice, I am a counselor. The question is, what's the content of my counsel? Am I providing the counsel of the wonderful counselor through his word, or am I giving my opinions, my experiences, the philosophies of the world and of man? So we're all counselors, I would say, yes. Uh, you know, what's the difference between am I a Christian counselor or am I a Christian who counsels? Is the content Christian? Is it God's word? Is that the counsel that I am providing to others? Because I am providing others counsel. Be that family members, neighbors, co-workers, members of my community group. We're all really counselors. So you say the one and others are essentially calling every Christian to, to counsel, to, to love each other, to encourage one another, to exhort one another. Exactly. We even referred to that in, in that segment this past weekend. We referred to that list of the biblical one and others. And as you look at that list, many of them are admonish and, and encourage and, and exhort. That is counseling, and, and we're all called to do that. That's not specific members called to do that. that those are the biblical one and others for all of us to walk in. Los, you're a church planter to be, and um, you're also on staff overseeing young adults, mm-hmm. um, aka the well. <laughs> what, what's this new change with the well? You said something yeah. about it on Sunday. Give us another recap of it. Try yeah. to try to tell that again. Yeah, um, kind of where the well has um, been around for about seven years now, and. Really, before that, there was nowhere for young adults, college students to get plugged in, um, and there were, you know, community groups weren't around. Uh, even if, when I came on staff, they really weren't thriving. Um, they were just kind of baby stage, if you will. Um, and you know, as, as they started growing this past year, uh, just started to look at the well and see its place at Desert Springs alongside community groups. And what we never wanted to do was first make the well a church within a church. We didn't want it to be Tuesday night church service for some young adults. Um, and we didn't want it to be a competitor to the um, overall vision and mission of Desert Springs. Um, so um, me alongside leadership team um, spent last semester emailing and then we had a meeting. And... Um, I've talked to other college pastors um, in the in the country, uh, asked what they've done as their churches have moved to a community group kind of um, thriving church, if you will. And um, what we, we decided to do is take away the every Tuesday night gathering that we were having. Um, we're still going to have one Tuesday. It's going to be called you know, it's the second Tuesday of the month. Um, where we'll have music. We'll have uh, teaching. Um, but we're also going to in, um, install a Sunday morning um, class, like a Sunday school class during the 9 a.m. service in the youth room. Uh, these will just be real short classes, four to six weeks of various topics that um, affect the lives of young adults as they think through their faith. Because when you're 20-something, early 20-something, 18, 19, you're really starting to figure out what you believe and why you believe it in a lot of ways. You're kind of out from under your parents' home, their beliefs, 
Um, you're, if you're on campus, you're getting hit with everything left and right, and you're starting to figure out, why do I believe what I believe? Um, and so it is kind of a unique stage um, for many here at Desert Springs. Um, so in some ways, we're actually meeting more often, but we're doing it in a way that allows people, to, young adults, to have their schedule freed up so they can be part of a community group alongside 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings. Um, and so, yeah, we're looking forward to um, this kind of change where we meet one Tuesday a month and hope some community groups might want to open up their groups to young adults and might use Tuesday night as a way to serve them and come and join us. Um, and then we'll have our Sunday morning classes. Great. Uh, Tim Ragsdale, related to community groups, um, how many community groups do we have right now? Last I counted was 24. Okay. Now, a difficult thing with growing a growing number of community groups, I think it's maybe 12 more this year than it was last year, something like that. Uh, do you have to, have to split and multiply, right? Painful. Um, isn't that counterproductive to the, the bond, the affection, love, and relationships that have been building up through that community group in the past several months? You know, that's, that's a good question because it is hard to say goodbye. I remember when my, uh, when my daughters moved out, I cried. And yet, if they were still living at home at, when they were 40, you'd probably think that there was a problem. These, these are things that have to occur. Um, <laughs> you might time. still cry. cry. <laughs> yeah, I'd be crying for different reasons. Um, and I, I think as we move away from a, uh, my comfort is the highest my highest priority and begin to, to look more at um, the growth and the spread of God's kingdom among, among, uh, within our community, within our town, it, when that becomes a priority rather than our own comfort, um, uh, it's one of those times where you know it, it is painful. If it's not painful, then it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> but I'm glad to get rid of this guy, you know. No, it's not what you're, um, you're hoping for. So, Guys, it's a necessary thing. It's an important thing. Healthy, growing cells in a body divide. Healthy, growing cells in the body of Christ divide and continue to grow. Um, so, and we've got we've got a lot of full community groups. Um, guys, get used to it. And uh, we're gonna we're even gonna I, I'm gonna start moving towards. There's no such thing as full. Grow, divide, and keep growing. Um, so, guys, we need to just, again, put the mission first, our desire to see, uh, uh, to see tons and tons of community groups all over the place, investing in their communities, inviting their neighbors into, into, uh, into their lives, getting involved in people's lives in the community, loving the community, and, and, uh, and learning that right to preach and speak God's truth into their lives. Um, I guess that's it. Are, are we yeah. expecting every member of DSC to be in a community group or, or to word it differently? Is it possible to actually do community without being in a community group? Join us. No. Um, <laughs> guys, we, I would expect every <laughs> Christian to want to live out the one another's of the gospel in gospel, in Christian community and fellowship. Um, whether it 
whether it takes the form of a DSC community group per se for every single person, that's, that's not something we're going to try to lay down a law on. But, guys, the Lone Ranger Christian is foreign to Scripture. And it needs to be foreign to you. Because we need to live in community, have a group of people around us that are encouraging us, filling us up, holding us accountable, um, rebuking, correcting, all of those things. We need that, guys. So for most of us, that means a community group. And it's, uh, that's the trellis we've erected here for that vine. Yeah. The way I worded it to someone recently, well, just after Sunday, preaching on community was, was that it, it's conceivably possible... And I can think of several people in our church who aren't in a community group. And I would say um, the biblical community things are happening in their life. There are people around them uh, who hold them accountable, who bring exhortation, who, you know, if they, if they stopped coming, people would notice. And they are serving. They are in each other's lives. Um, but it seems like community groups are an all-encompassing package of community. Uh, for those who can't very well piece it all together. Because some have maybe pieced it together, but it's harder to do, right? You'd have to take a little bit of this ministry, a little bit of that ministry, uh, do a lot of hospitality, those sorts of things. Is that fair to say, Tim? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I think uh, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, good. Ron, back to renovations. Are there more renovations to come? Uh, always the answer is, sorry, to that is going to be yes. So as many in 2011 as we did this past year, no. Um, but there are always things that need to be upgraded, fixed. Um, some are absolute necessities because of safety issues. Um, some are appearance and cosmetic. Um, so they're all our decisions. But we'll do a couple things in 2011. Anything you want to say about um, the finances in general? Big dip in the middle of the year. We were in the red for a while there and ended the year in the black. Is that right? Yeah, we did. Um, if you've looked at the bulletins the past few weeks, it's been really good. And we're thankful to kind of have this uh, time of rest and hopefully won't slip into the red again. Uh, we started our fiscal year October 1st last fall. Those first two months... Like I mentioned, we ended up twenty grand in the red, so it was starting to be a concern to me. So I'm thinking, if this happens every two months, project that out over 12 months, that's not good at all. Uh, that could even be a mini crisis. Um, but second half of December, we had a lot of good giving come in from you guys. And the first three weeks of January, this is what is really good. January usually bottoms out because not everyone gives every month the same amount and spreads it out. Um, some families, couples, singles, let six months go by and they think, oh, wait a minute, it's December, I do want a tax deduction, it's time to make that big check out. So January can be a really dry month in terms of giving. And um, we've had three great weeks. Uh, last week the bulletin showed 2K in the red. The bulletin you'll get in your hands this Sunday will be in the black, maybe six or seven or eight. Uh, this last Sunday, we anticipated 27,000, 36,000 came in. So 9,000 more than what we thought. Um, so things are going real well. We don't know why there was a dip in the fall. I can give you one possible reason that our finance administrator is, is guessing was one reason. 
Um, before I tell you this, though, you should know, and we've said this before, elders never look at your giving records. No staff look at your giving records. We don't make it public to anybody. Um, so no one says, let's look at the Smith family and see how they did. Um, that never happens. Our financial administrator guesses that at least several thousand, maybe five to ten of this 20, possibly more, but at least five to ten, was due to people taking our call for one of 150, um, I don't want to say too seriously because you can't take it seriously enough, but they maybe didn't hear Ryan and myself and others saying, now this is on top of your regular giving, not as a way of reshuffling your giving. So um, Gail actually gets electronic notices when online giving changes, so she can ignore the name but still see patterns. And so her guess is that with a couple dozen families, if they gave, say, $10 a year, just to throw out any number we can use, um, instead of adding that dollar to make it 11 um, and part of this is people started giving last fall, which was great, even before January. Um, instead of making it 11 they would say, instead of giving 10 to church every year, I'll give 9 to DSC and 1 to church planting. So that's part of what we think was the reason for this dip. And what might be the reason that, one reason, well, multiple reasons why we're doing back much better now. Um, simply because I think we've communicated the message, people have gotten it, some people have revised things a second time, um, and we feel real good now about where giving is, both to the church and to church planting. Real good about it. All right, on the church planting then, Carlos, um, what's the timeline for the church plant in Rio Rancho? Mm-hmm. Um, we're about a year out. We want to plant um, around mid to late January 12th. Um, there's a couple strategic times to plant, September and January and Easter Sunday. Um, we're aiming for um, January um, of 2012. And um, probably the timeline right now, since we're about a year out, we got the name, Redemption, logo. Um, Memo did a great job with the logo. Um, Joined the church has joined. Um, it's going to be in the Acts 29 church planting network. Um, me and my wife Lauren um, went out to Phoenix, got assessed, and went through that process to become um, affiliated with that network. Um, and so now, really, the next um, few months, um, this spring, we're going to be. Uh, I'll be just writing up statements of faith, um, sitting with the elders, you know, kind of casting vision. Alongside them, um, my good friend uh, Dave Bruskis, who's at Mars Hill, he's kind of the guy that's mentored through me through a lot of this. Be meeting more with him. Um, and then come late spring, you'll, you're probably going to start to see commitment cards. And what that's going to be is for those that want to be part of this church in Rio Rancho. Um, they're going to have specifics of what you're, what's going to be expected of you if you join this church. Um, and uh, on the back of, you know, different options you can have. So you'll probably see those start in late spring. Um, summertime, we're going to start gathering the core and start, I'll start talking to people along with the elders that want to be part of this church plant in Rio Rancho. Um, and then really in the fall, um, kind of when community groups come back together in September-ish, um, the aim is going to be that's when the core group starts gathering, kind of like a big community group. Uh, and what that's going to be for is just me casting vision about what this church is going to be like. What's, what's it what's it thrive on? What's the heartbeat of this church? Um, and that way, start that January, that first Sunday that the church launches, um, a year from now, 
someone new comes in, an unbeliever comes in um, to check out this church, and they ask, well, what's this church about? Everyone in that room that's part of that core team can tell them exactly what this church is about, what's the vision, where it's going, um, what we're praying for. Uh, they don't have to go, okay, we'll go talk to, go talk to Los. Um, so just kind of in a way, we're all in it together. So probably starting fall is when you're going to start to um, maybe see people disappear from your community groups. Um, and uh, you're going to start to see this core group start to really take shape and this church start to really look like um, a body. How, how many people or families do you need in order to go? There's something at a, there's a mission critical point, right? Mm-hmm. That if it's too low, boy, that's really not a, a, a good seed yet to, to go and plant, right? How many right. families is that critical level? We're, we're looking at a minimum of 40, 40 adults over 18. Um, you know, this church, you take three couples and you have enough kids. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> The, um, the critical level is, you know, for, well, you got 40 adults, that, that what they say is that when the church starts that way, when it launches at that mass, you're going to have new people that are going to come in, you have unbelievers that are going to come in, and it doesn't feel quite like, you know, this sparse, empty place with three people, and it's just totally awkward. Uh, it feels like a thriving church, and you have enough people there that are giving to the, um, the church and the mission that it can be self-sustaining quicker and quicker. Should people in Rio Rancho feel um, pressure right now about, about going and being a part of this, or, or what? How does that work? I, I know geography is a factor, right? We, we're, um, we're not planting down the street. We're planting a little ways away from Desert Springs Church so that there's uh, a, a church in a slightly different area, right? Yeah. Kind of global. <laughs> Rio Rancho? Yeah. Um, um, Sounds cultural. <laughs> I, I would say... Well, we, well, what I would ask is the people in Rio Rancho to start um, in Rio Rancho, Corrales area, um, basically that north, northwest corner, um, really start praying about it. Husbands and wives pray about if this was something that God would have you do. Um, not gonna, we're not going to force anyone. Uh, that, that would be a really bad way to start a church. <laughs> Why are you guys here? What's this church about? Well, they made me come. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's never worked out well. Um, but um, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, there's going to be commitment level of what it's going to be like. You know, we're going to encourage you to think about being part of a church that's closer to your home, closer to your neighborhood, closer to the people you live around that you can invite to the church, invite to events that the church will hold that will be in the community um, that's, you know, maybe closer to, you know, drive five minutes to a church than, you know, drive 20, 25 minutes. Um, so... Um, you're going to be asked to pray about it, and we, you know, talk to, oh, I'm sure I'll talk to each and every one that lives in that area. But again, um, it's about planting the gospel. It's about being on a mission in Rio Rancho, and the church is going to have a very strategic vision. We want people that are excited about that. Um, and so no, no one's going to be totally like, well, that's what everyone there is going, and they don't have a choice. Not at all. Uh, to break this up a little bit, I'll take a question. Um, one of the questions came in, actually two questions. I, I think perhaps these gentlemen consulted with each other and wrote the same question in together. But a question that came in was, um, why do we use grape juice instead of wine for our Lord's Supper? So here's, um, well, there are a few different ways of answering it, but here's, here's 
a couple ways uh, to try to answer that. Number one, we would have some sensitivities to fermented wine uh, with some folks in the church, not least parents of 16-year-old kids who are partaking in the Lord's Supper, whereas we don't have anyone probably in this church who um, doesn't partake of grape juice uh, because they have some sort of conviction about partaking of grape juice. I've actually heard of one guy, uh, not in this city, but in Denver, we had someone in our church there who um, refused to partake of grape juice. I won't even give you his theological roundabout to try to get there, but um, he didn't. He refused to to partake of grape juice. I haven't heard that apart from one guy. Um, So I I, I think that it does pose potential uh, less potential problems than than wine. I can tell you this: it's not because we, as an eldership, think that um, no Christian should ever moderately partake of fermented beverage. We we think that when it says Jesus made water into wine, that was probably not Welch's, because um, <laughs> there was a difference between good wine and, and bad wine, and there's no such thing as good Welches or bad Welches, I don't think. Uh, so, so I won't go into that, but I, I, I think Jesus made water into real wine and even good wine. Um, we don't think it's necessarily wrong for uh, a Christian to partake of, um, moderately partake of, uh, of, a, of wine. Um, but we don't do it here, and, um, and we're okay with that right now. So one thing I would say is, why switch? Why would it be a problem? Why, uh, why would we, you know, why would we want to do something else than, than what we, we have already? Uh, it's not like we're doing soda crackers and Pepsi. You know, maybe you grew up in a youth group that went to the beach and said, ah, let's have communion with Pepsi and Ritz or something like that. And, um, you know, plenty of youth pastors think that's cool, I guess. But, um, but not here. And so, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not veering far from the track here with, um, with grape juice. They didn't have the option of unfermented wine in the first century. All wine would have been fermented for, for health reasons. Uh, we do have that option here in the 21st century. And so for now, we partake of grape juice. And I even sometimes call it wine because I... So I'm used to what the Bible calls it, and so you'll hear a Lord's Supper service where I'll say the bread and the wine, and uh, someone new is probably going, wine, really? Is it real wine? Ah, oh, it's just grape juice. You know, uh, it's just grape juice, even though I sometimes call it wine. It's just, I guess, habit and using the biblical word, so that's why we, uh, that's why we use grape juice. Um, Tim Bradley, you oversee children's ministry. What would be unique about children's ministry at DSC? What's our vision? What's our approach, our philosophy? Yeah. Really our vision that might differentiate us from from other churches, from some churches, is what we want to do for kids here, specifically when they're here on Sunday mornings in the children's ministry, is we want to hold out before them a vision of a great God. And so what, we, what you might not see in children's ministry is a big banner over the children's ministry that says, this is the place to have fun because it's not a primary objective. What that won't mean is we won't have fun with kids. They're kids. We want to have fun, but that's not ultimate. Ultimate is putting on display before them through God's word 
our great God, our God who saves, our God who is merciful to sinners, our God who sacrificed his own life to rescue us. And so that may be one of the distinctives you, you'll see. And you'll see that, that in our children's ministry curriculum, for example, uh, very, very God-centered. Not man-centered, not child-centered, but, but God-centered. So that may be one of the distinctives of children's ministry. Um, what do we, maybe another way of wording the same question would be to ask, what might someone find in a children's ministry elsewhere that we would try to steer away from? Okay. Uh, maybe just repeating what I just said, you might find a, a real emphasis on this is fun and this is what we're bringing kids together for is fun. And so we would probably try to steer away from that as, as our overall emphasis. Uh, we want kids to be part of the, the corporate body. And so many children's ministries will say, you know, our vision is to have dynamic church services for kids. And that's not what we're looking to do. We're not looking to replace uh, the worship service. And so we have children's ministry services, or not services, but we have children's ministry, and we'll do things like sing, but we won't call that worship. We call that children's assembly. We're assembling back there together, but that's not the worship service of the church. Um, we, you know, we, uh, we want kids to participate in service like many of the kids are in here tonight. And so we don't see it as a, as a competition. So we will promote families worshiping together. We will say, we want your kids to not be segregated from the larger church body until they're 18 years old and then not feel comfortable with church, not see what their parents are doing, not learn what corporate worship is together. And so we will promote that while we simultaneously will offer Sunday school classes for kids. We'll also encourage families to worship together here to let your five and six-year-olds see mom and dad Worshiping God. Uh, so there may be some yeah. good stuff. Could, could maybe one distinctive also be that, and I can envision maybe some churches would, when a kid is, say, five years old, I don't want to use the word pressure, but they might want to say, the teacher might think, I need to pray with little Susie today to receive Christ because she might die tomorrow. And although we're all about the gospel and kids know, coming to know Christ, there might not be that kind of pressure from your teachers, um, but rather working with parents, letting kids understand them themselves so they can verbalize it and, and not so much we tell them the gospel and they're just nodding their heads like, oh, yeah, I guess I do want to pray that. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. And in fact, what we see in the testimony of Scripture is that uh, children are immature, and, and that's normal. They're, they're, they're immature spiritually, Emotionally, physically, they're immature and, and they need to grow. And, and we can probably convince most of our kids in this church to make some sort of profession. And in fact, many might even make that profession on their own, uh, just like my son, and in fact, as my three-year-old grows the same, uh, 
you know, professes the same sport teams that dad does. So if, if Christ is important in your home, because our children want to emulate us, they, they many times want to please us, they, they're familiar with the language, they're familiar with gospel, and yet might not understand it at a heart level. And so we don't want to try and force or coerce uh, professions of faith. We do want to cultivate that. We want to support and encourage parents and what they are doing in the home uh, as part of family ministry. And, and again, we want to put the gospel in front of kids, but we don't want to you know, start tracking well, how many kids got converted uh, this week or this month at Desert Springs. We don't want that to be front and center, though we do want the gospel to be front and center. Really one more question, and um, it's related to the youth parent ministry, and so none of us really own that, and so maybe we can all own this question a little bit. I can maybe start to answer it, and you guys um, fill in some gaps. But we had the question come in, what what is our vision for youth ministry? Uh, What are we looking for kids to do who are in that paradox parent youth ministry, and what are we looking for parents of those kids to do? Now, we realize that ideally, uh, parents and kids would go to a worship service, um, and then they would be a part of a parent-student youth ministry together. Um, Some parents don't feel the need or desire or ability to to be in with their kids during the the parent-student time, although that's encouraged and Um, You're welcome to be, even if you grew up in a youth group where that wasn't the case and you feel like, oh, I don't want to be one of those parents. Um, You wouldn't be one of those parents in our church. In in our church, it would be, um, of course, encouraged. But we find that it's difficult to to maybe drop your kids off to the youth group, come here, and, um, and try to also get your kids into a worship service with you. Uh, if we had maybe adult Sunday school happening at the same time as the parent-student youth thing, then perhaps it would be um, easier for some. So we realize the complexity sort of of what we're shooting for is an ideal here at Desert Springs Church, and yet um, the way it's set up where there's a worship service and, um, and a, a youth ministry. Um, and so sometimes mom and dad are in here during the youth time, the second service, and kids are are in there. What we'd like to shoot for and encourage you in is doing both together. I know it means an extra service. I know it means more time. I, it means a lot of things. Um, but we'd encourage you to, to pray about and think about um, partnering with Greg and the youth, that ministry, those kids and those fellow parents who help out in there. Um, and also, like Tim was saying about children, having your kids sit with you in corporate worship, in um, in this room together in the nine o'clock hour, if you're able to, um, it would be a shame. I think every parent would agree with this. It'd be a shame for kids to not really experience corporate worship with adults until they were in college. And right now it's conceivable for you to move through the whole DSC system and kids really aren't in a sense, uh, forced into going in here during corporate worship, um, until they're, 18 or 19 or something. And I would say, boy, that's missing out on a great opportunity to be with your kids before the Lord, with the church, um, and, and for them to start loving this, um, not thinking that this is the boring 
part that they have to do when they're 18 or something like that. I'm convinced that a big part of why there um, is church drop-off with 18-year-olds is because of that system. In other words, I don't know what the stats are, but it's something like 70% of church kids stop being churched when they're 18. And I think part of the system is they've gone through the arcade of church, the fun carousel of church all the way through, and then what's at the end of the road is getting dumped in the deep end of um, the adult world, and they don't like it, and they stop going. So I think um, if you had to choose, choose to be with your kids in corporate worship if they're at an age where they can sit with you and um, begin to start to digest. If you, if you need help on just, I mean, how do you get kids to sit still? I'd be glad to talk to you. I'm sure my wife would be glad to talk to you. Any of these guys would be glad to talk to you. And we would all admit we don't really know, but, um, but here's this pill you can give your kid. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Benadryl. Uh, no, we'd be glad to help you practically about what that looks like. And um, so let me just encourage you to, to think through uh, youth ministry with us and what that parent-youth church ministry partnership um, can look like here. We, we want to we grow in seeing that experienced, um, not just idealized in a sense, here at Desert Springs. You guys want to add anything to that related to youth and parents? No, just, I just was wondering... In wonder at, at how gently you could say and confess that the modern youth group movement is an utter failure. As we have raised a generation that has gone through this carousel and had, had their pizza, their games, and their concerts. And when they graduated high school, there was nothing left. So they left. And uh, so, very, very gentle way of saying uh, we don't buy into that. To that model, we want uh, true uh, intergenerational at every level, and uh, I would encourage you, and I know Greg would too, if you have to choose between having your kid in in the parad- in paradox or in here for that one, you're only going to be here for one service. Bring him in here. And I'm sure there's a real struggle when you get to. I don't know this personally, but when you get to um, having a 16-year-old kid who doesn't want to go to church anymore, I'm sure that it is. Painful, scary, and um, in, in parents probably pretty easily panic and, and quickly think about switching churches to go to a church where um, their kids like, a, like the youth group better or something like that. Um, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. And I think there are some steps before it gets to that stage at 16 that, that, can, be, um, that can be helpful. So let us help you. Let us talk about that. Let uh, go to Greg and let him give you the sales pitch on um, sort of this vision for a partnership in your parenting. That's what we want. We don't want we don't want to do ministry for you to your kids. We want to help you in your ministry to your kids, and that would be the case from preschool all the way up. Um, we want to uh, you know we, we don't want to do your marriage for you. Right? We want to help you in your marriage. And uh, everyone knows that. Well, of course, you, you can't do my marriage for me. But, but a, a lot of the modern version of youth ministry is, here are my kids. You, you do shepherding. 
you do it. Fix them. Uh, tell them. And um, we don't want we don't want to be that um, prominent of a shepherd and um, and a a care giving role to your kids. We want to help you in that. Um, so let us help you do that. Hey, hey Ryan. Yeah. Just to mention, in addition to going to Greg and asking him, um, about a year ago we transitioned to deacons that would have areas of oversight like we as elders do. And Kelly Moore, who's raised three boys, um, and I think have one or two out of the nest. Two. Well, at least two. Matt's back in the nest. Two out of the nest. Um, uh, is, has been working with our youth for not just a few years, but a long, long time. And uh, so either Greg or Kelly, if you want to get some perspective from a parent who's raised in, you know, three boys, then somewhere Kelly's going to be in here. Where are you, Kelly? Yeah, back there. So Greg and Kelly are both here tonight. And we we could just start sending them. everybody to Greg and Kelly. Yeah, that's yeah. a good. good idea. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, we've got to wrap it up if we're going to do the rest of our service. Um,